You're listening to Lead, Speak, Grow with your host, Dr. Makisha Mullins, also known as Dr. Mac. Lead, Speak, Grow is a space curated for those ready to take the lead in their lives, speak a truth that affirms them in their purpose, and places them on a path of continuous growth. This is a safe space where I have real conversations with guests about life challenges and how they've overcome them. I hope you are inspired to lead, speak, and grow today and every day forward. Thank you for listening to the Lead, Speak, Grow podcast with Dr. Makisha Mullins. Be sure you follow Lead, Speak, Grow with your podcast carrier. This episode is sponsored by BuyEmpowered.com. Make Buy Empowered your new favorite brand. BuyEmpowered.com offers high-quality, comfortable t-shirts, hoodies, and more. We want you to dress confidently, feel free to be yourself, and buy empowered. Shop BuyEmpowered.com. Hello, thanks for joining the journey today with Lead Speak Grow. I'm your host, Dr. Mack, and I have with me today Mr. Scott Whiteford. He is the Director of Leadership Analytics. He is an expert on the science of talent and has coached over 1,700 leaders on how to develop talent. His primary analytical focus is utilizing Talent Plus Executive Interview to help companies select and coach leaders based on their strengths. He thoughtfully uses additional tools such as the Appreciative Inquiry, Team View, Positive 360s, and Collaborative Coaching to develop leaders and build effective teams through a strengths management approach. So I just want to now welcome Scott, and thank you for joining me today. Uh, thank you, Dr. Mack. It's nice to be here. Um, and so <clears throat> I'm going to pretend like I haven't read your bio and all this information <laughs> about the company, about Talent Plus, and let's just pretend like we're meeting at an event. We get seated at the table next to each other, and I turn to you and say, oh, um, I'm Makisha Mullins, and you say, hey, I'm, I'm Scott. And I just, you know, we have a conversation about what do you do? What does it mean to be the director of leadership analytics and to use science um, to analyze talent? Sure. Well, the first thing I would say is that uh, I have an opportunity to coach leaders based on their strengths, help them build teams, effective teams, and uh, build strong organizational culture. It's short for I have a fun job. And... Uh, <laughs> Whenever I sit next to somebody and I have to say or a little real quickly what our what we do, uh, I actually ask a question first, if you don't mind. Okay. And I say to them, OK, let's pretend that I want you to think of the best leader you've ever worked for, the best one you've ever worked for. And I'd like you to give me and I'm, I'm actually asking you. So I'd like you to give me <laughs> three characteristics you would use to describe this great leader. What would those three characteristics be? Oh, wow. Okay. I have two people in mind, actually. So I, I think they both were confident, um, were secure in their skills, and empowered others. Okay. So uh, then I say, all right, I'd like you to think of the Mercedes-Benz symbol. We all know the Mercedes-Benz symbol. It has the, it's a star, has like three areas, right? Yeah. And I say, okay. On the upper right, you have knowledge, skills, and experience. So the knowledge you've accumulated on the job, uh, maybe it's the skills that you, you need to do to perform a strong job. I'm the director of leadership analytics at Talent Plus, so I understand statistics. 
If I went to a new organization and they said you have to learn new statistics, I would do it. It's a skill. And the third is experience. And experience matters because leaders make different decisions now than they might have five years ago with the same information. That's the top right. Anything you can put on a resume. And I often tell my leaders, I'd like you to focus on areas of deficiency. So if you don't have the right knowledge or the right skills or the right experience, let's get that for you. The bottom part of the star is uh, fit. And fit can be with a leader. It can be with a team. It can be an organization. It might even be a location. I work with an, uh, an organization, a hospital in Virginia, and there's a little river that runs through the middle of this town. And the people who live on the other side of this little river are twice as likely to terminate. And that's just a yeah. strange fit consideration I don't think anybody would have thought of. Then the upper left part of the star is talent. And talent accounts for 36% of the variance or about a third of our Mercedes-Benz star. And when we think of talent, we think of things like being able to build relationships that they're caring, that they're empowering others, that they can set a strong vision, they're highly focused, maybe they're really positive. So all of those things fall into those talent categories. And I often tell my leaders, on that side, I want you to focus on strengths. Focus on what people really do well and really build that up. And those, that part, the strengths are harder to measure because you can't really put that on a resume. And so that's what we do at Talent Plus through the executive interview is really understand a leadership, a leader's strengths, and then um, how to develop those and work with their team to develop their strengths. So building a stronger team together as well. Okay. Right. So how did you come to this work? What's the path that led you to working with executive leaders and helping them really empower their teams and focus on strengths? What, where were you before you got to this work? Yeah. So I went to graduate school in sociology. Uh, my dad is an anthropologist and all his siblings are anthropologists. And for those of you that are into this world, being a sociologist means the acorn fell way away from the tree. <laughs> I like things like statistics. Those good folks are more ethnomethodologists and, and live with the people. And the study of sociology is really the study of culture and the study of differences and inequality. And uh, I always found it fascinating, still do. And the really interesting trans transition from graduate school to uh, Talent Plus was I get to work with people, which I love working with people, work with people, but then really understand how that leader operates within a team. So it's not just the leader, but the organization itself. And so uh, it was a, a natural transition for me from graduate school to Talent Plus. Okay. And so you mentioned enjoying statistics and numbers. So you have kind of a balance here. You're, you're kind of a, the, the technical person, but also the person that values the personal relationship as well. Um, so what are some of the analytics and measurements that you, you talked a little bit about how you approach it with the three pronged approach or the three areas of the star. So what are some of the analytics and stats that you use when you're working with clients? It's very heavy in analytics, actually. Uh, when you think of things like relationship or focus or vision, it sounds kind of soft and touchy feely. And, yeah. and people would just say, I really enjoy people. And we'd be, ah, yes, well, you need to come work for us. And it's, it's really not, not that way. What we want to do is we want to understand 
uh, a leader's strengths, but really in comparison to other leaders as well. Hmm. So for instance, on our leadership uh, interview, we have 10 different themes and a leader can be strong in five of those themes and be successful. And a different leader could be strong in the other five themes and be successful. So it's not about just understanding one theme. It's really understanding the leader overall. But to get to that point where the analytics really come into play is that we have to develop questions that aren't obvious, but that separate really strong leaders as defined by our client partners and leaders who are a contrast group or maybe average to below average. And so we go through a series of questions to really see what questions differentiate between those two groups. Because if I ask in an interview, do you like to work hard? Everybody will say yes. And that question doesn't give us any information. Yeah. Who's going to say, no, I don't want to work. Yeah. Well, that concludes, <laughs> that concludes the interview. You'll be on your way. And so uh, the beauty with what, when we use the executive interview uh, is that it, it takes about two hours to complete and we use it with our clients for both bringing new leaders on, but also then focusing on those strengths and development. And that's where I spend most of my time. Okay. And so with those commerce, those initial conversations, so of course everyone, you know, is trying to figure out what's the best answer. Oftentimes we use survey people. So talk a little bit, this is where I'm going to kind of go a little bit to the nerd. I'm always interested in kind of survey design mm -hmm. and the way questions are asked and mm -hmm. how we kind of, and how they're asked in multiple ways throughout a survey, right? So you're going to ask the same question five times in this inventory, <laughs> yeah. but it has to be asked very artfully. Yep. Um, so do you, how often do people try to kind of find their way around it, like get, get a pretest, so to speak, mm -hmm. so they can do well or perform well on <clears> these things? Well, the first piece is the research is very strong. So we spend a lot of time analyzing items, analyzing questions, making sure that they can't be beat, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, and so it, we look for consistencies and answers. So if there's 100, 150 questions, we'll look, just like you said, we'll look for those kind of consistencies. When I was young at Talent Plus, I got on an interview and I was with a, a leader who uh, was applying for a job with one of the organizations, with one of our clients. And the first thing he says to you goes, I did all this research and I'm going to beat your interview. And this is before I started the recording. <laughs> so I said, well, okay. And I thought, okay, this is somebody who's really going to try to beat the interview. And uh, so I would ask the questions and he would just give me a litany of answers and he'd be all over the place. But just because he was all over the place doesn't mean he was saying the right things or the things that we find with strong leaders. And in the end, I'm sure he hung up the phone and, and just thought, nailed it. And <laughs> instead, it did not turn out very well because of the types of answers he was giving. Uh, he was fishing, but not fishing and for the right things, so to speak. So um, we spend a lot of time making sure that uh, the interview itself is consistent over time and that uh, individuals are consistent as well. So uh, to give you another example... If I go through the interview 10 years ago, and then I go through it today, I'm still a relationship-oriented per person. I'm still highly focused. I still love solving projects and problems. That's mm -hmm. still me. 
But the development comes in really focusing on where can we put Scott in those situations where he will be most successful, um, uh, even though we see the consistency from time one to time two. Okay. And so, so with that process, when, when you're going in, obviously people, what is the most kind of frequent reason people, people reach out to you and call you in to, to do this work? Because I know oftentimes people are unnerved to, to be kind of shown to the world or, or their weaknesses revealed the way mm-hmm. they feel. Um, it can be anxiety inducing for a lot of people. What are the points in which organizations say, okay, we need this. Uh, please come in and start this work with us. Yeah. So uh, we usually have organizations come to us. uh, And so we don't headhunt. I don't go out and find the people for that organization. Um, But when they bring in kind of their final three or four candidates, then we have an opportunity to interview them. The organizations we tend to work with tend to be with a growth mindset. uh, And so they're really looking for an edge. And, And like I said, A lot of companies focus on that third of the star with knowledge, skills, and experience and really ignore everything else. Or it's, uh, they they briefly go over that. Um, But a lot of organizations know that there's more to it than just knowledge, skills, and experience. Uh, And so those are the types of organizations that we tend to work with. Another one that has come up recently um, is the DEI, Uh, organizations come to us to help with DEI because when you look at somebody's talent and those strengths, we see no differences in age, race, gender, or LGBTQ plus status. And so because we don't see differences in those strengths, it helps break down some of the walls that might have already been up um, in other organizations. Yes. Um, and with that, I'm going to come back to the DEI <laughs> thing that you just mentioned. But first, I want to ask you, what are some of the common, like you mentioned, they want to focus heavily on the knowledge and the skills component, because we think obviously this person, like, you know, yourself, they have to know stats, they have to be, you know, fluent in this. <clears throat> but the other components are also important, like you talk, talk about the fit um, comp- component, and their interpersonal skills and all of those things. What are some of the most common errors that are being made when people are selecting? Do you ever get to the point where people have their final candidates and you're like, none of these people are a great fit. You know, you have to kind of reevaluate your overall search. So what are some of those common mistakes people are making when they select their candidates? Yeah, the most common mistake. And I see it uh, repeatedly. And that's probably why I still have a job because if people figure this part (laughs) out, I might not have a job. But anyway, um, the most common mistake I see is, uh, let's take sales, for instance. So you have a a team of five salespeople and your chief sales officer, chief growth officer leaves the organization and you decide, I'm going to select my next chief growth officer from my five salespeople or my five sales managers or whatever they are. And um, they immediately go to their highest performing salesperson and promote them to a leadership position. And you now have done two things. You have taken your best salesperson off the floor, so to speak, and you have put them in a position that they may have no understanding at all of being a leader. Because I can be outstanding in my work, but if I can't elevate the work of the people who report to me, it doesn't matter how good I am. I need those people to be very strong. That is easily the most common mistake. And it's 
it's we'll talk about it before they even make the mistake and they still make the mistake. <laughs> they still say, they're my best. I know they'll be good with people. I know they'll be a good leader. And then they aren't. Or, you know, not all the time, obviously, but that is easily the most common mistake. Yeah. So it's, it's very easy to mistake excelling in high competency yep. in a certain skill set for the ability to also lead others and translate that into to the rest of the team. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you, you mentioned DEI and I know in recent years um, in the United States um, uh, throughout the pandemic, really, there's been an increased emphasis on DEI. Um mostly because the racially motivated um, killings of African-Americans and the protests and all of those things. Um, so that renewed interest has led to the creation of many DEI VPs of DEI in different parts of organizations. And that's a whole nother conversation how those are created, but really in addressing that, how do you help organizations really address the diversity gap as opposed to just kind of throwing a band-aid over the top of it. So there, it, how do you make sure there's some meat to go with that? Yeah, it is taking traditional paradigm and just making a complete shift. And that's what, what we do. And we've been doing it for 33 years and we did not set out to be, to, to have it fall under DEI. It's just what it's the uh, outcome of, of what we do. So, for instance, uh, back to kind of that uh, Mercedes-Benz star, because companies look at knowledge, skills, and experience, and because there are inequalities going into knowledge, skills, and experience, you're going to, your output is going to be what you put in. Yeah. On the other side, with strengths, there is, because we see no differences in age, race, gender, LGBTQ plus status, what happens then is that organizations that come to us we are as likely to recommend a person who's African-American or a person who's, uh, you know, bi or a person who is a female or whatever, whatever it is, as they would other candidates because we don't see those differences. And so I often say, uh, I, I wrote a, a white paper on this a few years ago, but before um, the pandemic, but it was, uh, if you really focused on talent, our Fortune 100 CEOs right now, mm -hmm. there are 95% men, 95% white, and 99% um, uh, outwardly 1% uh, LGBTQ. And if you look at, if you just use talent, you'd have 64% white, you'd have 51% women, you'd have 15% African-American, and you'd have between 10 and 20% of your leaders would be LGBTQ plus status. And now I, as, a, as an organization, I'm drawing from 100% of the population. Whereas going back to the Fortune 100, the, the stats that I just read, that's only 30% of the population. Hmm. So just for, from a, a winning standpoint, I'm drawing from 100% of the population. You can continue to draw from your 30%. And in the end, we will have better outcomes. Yeah. This episode is sponsored by BuyEmpowered.com. Make BuyEmpowered your new favorite brand. BuyEmpowered.com offers high-quality, comfortable t-shirts, hoodies, and more. We want you to dress confidently, feel free to be yourself, and buy empowered. Shop BuyEmpowered.com.
So how, what is that conversation like? Because I think oftentimes we obviously are, are blind to our own biases, right? We feel like this is, these are the criteria we've mm-hmm. been using for years. Um, it's been serving us. We feel like we're doing well as an organization. We feel like we're open. We feel like we're um, interested in, in diversity and we provide equitable environments. What about what you're doing is is different than, than what we've yeah. been doing? Right? The, the, the big thing that we do differently is rely less on the knowledge, skills, and experience than they're usually used to. When the organizations come to us, mm. uh, regardless of reason, It's because they know there's more. They want better. They want to do something. So they're already open to the idea of let's not just look at the traditional knowledge, skills, and experience. Let's look at other things. And not only is it the strengths that we've talked about in our conversation, but also how does that work with the strengths on the team? I mean, how are we looking at team dynamics and organizational culture? And so when when our clients come to us, they're usually interested in something new anyway, and we help provide Mm -hmm. that. So they are, in many cases, more likely to be searching for uh, people outside of their traditional paradigm. I work with a a big um, healthcare organization with 41 hospitals, and they came to us and said their uh, diversity increased by 26%. I then presented that I was excited about it, presented it at another conference and another group that I've worked with for a long time. They came and said, we, they saw an increase in 63% diversity within their organization. And in neither one did we say, we are promising that. We just said, if you look at, if you go to a different type of paradigm, you are going to get better candidates, more diverse candidates, and they just go hand in hand. Yeah. Do you work with organizations to to set those goals? So maybe you don't come in and obviously make mandates and say you you're going to diversify your workforce kind of thing. They obviously ha- are open to doing something differently. So if they say, okay, Scott, this is great. We think we want to take this a step further. Um, how do you use your formulaic approach and your detailed analysis to mm-hmm. help them get to that? So prior to the pandemic, prior, really prior to the emphasis that we've seen more recently on DEI, because we've been doing this indirectly for a very long time, I haven't had mm-hmm. clients come to me until more recently talking about how do we increase, how, how do we see better DEI results? Um, before the pandemic, I don't ever recall somebody coming to me to want to do that specific thing. Since the pandemic, since you know 2020, really, uh, I've had organizations. Here, the uh, stats that I just read to you and that your listeners hear too, um, and come and say, "Okay, wait a second, that sounds really interesting." And it, how can you help us increase our diversity? And the beauty is, it will happen um, organically. It's not going to happen because I'm going to go in there and say, "You." you need to do these three things or you need to do those four things. It's going to happen organically. Going back to your original statement, um, I think a lot of maybe the approaches that organizations take are the Band-Aid. They just say, oh, okay, 
all of a sudden this is something that's mandated by the higher ups. We got to figure out a way to do it. So we put a bandaid or something that isn't what you really need to do to get to the root of the problem. And because we're at the root, it's, it, it changes the way of thinking and it changes um, how the clients approach DEI. And there's something interesting in the statement um, when you talk about this word, you talk about how this approach eliminates discrimination. <clears throat> and so I'm just like, wow, how is <laughs> it's difficult to believe that discrimination is, is eliminated in there. Can you talk about how you help organizations get to that point and sustain how, how they yeah. help them sustain that? Um, that is more in its infancy. So when we build these uh, instruments, we look at the time for any items that show discrimination based on the statistics and we remove them if they show discrimination across any of those uh, categories that I just gave to you. And so, but we've been doing that forever. So that's not anything new. Uh, and mm -hmm. if you think about what strengths are, you could be highly relationship oriented and be female or male or black or white or straight or bi or whatever. I mean, we're all have different, um, different levels of relationship building and it really doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, it, we, we don't see differences is what I should say. So to answer your question though, we're in the infancy of really helping our clients work through it. So it's not just a one-time, mm -hmm. hey, we're making a selection. Um, let's, you've helped us like, great. We've helped us uh, increase our diversity, great. How do we see that more ongoing? And the real work then becomes in the development work that we do with our client partners uh, and developing the leaders, developing the teams. And again, because the approach is such, it's not necessarily a focus on here's how we sustain DEI. DEI. It's more of a focus on here's how you treat people. Here's how you treat your, your employees. And here are the types of questions that you ask them that don't have the uh, discrimination built in. So uh, for instance, if we sit down, the two of us sit down, uh, regardless of who you are, I might ask, where, what do you want to get out of your career? What do you want to get out of the work that you're doing here? And you're telling me, okay, I want to be the VP of X, Y, and Z, and then setting up a path to get there. Instead of the leader coming to the person and saying, Here's what you need to do to get to the next level and having that predetermined by the leader that too opens, okay. opens more doors uh, that might not have been open otherwise, but we are in its infancy. And I say we uh, it's talent plus, but I also think our society is in its infancy on how to approach it effectively. Yeah. Interesting. And so lastly, I just want to kind of ask you, cause you also work around just, the larger organizational culture mm -hmm. as well as part of your work. Um, do you have kind of some, some insights or things you can share with people that say, you know, I'm, I'm starting my company. <laughs> I'm trying to be intentional about being open and inclusive and building that kind of environment. Do you have some kind of steps or things people should keep in mind as they grow their teams or grow their companies yeah, I, um, to be more yeah, inclusive? I, I love those situations. We really, we call them internally greenfield sites uh, that you have basically a blank sheet of paper 
And we have a couple of different ways that this happens. It could be maybe we work with a hotel, a, a hospitality group, and there's a specific hotel they're going to open up and they want it, it to start from scratch, so to speak. Or it's an organization that's entrepreneurial and they're starting from scratch. Regardless, the first piece is, are you bringing in people? Are you appealing to the right types of people? And when I say the right types of people, not the standard group that you probably think you need to appeal to, but how do you appeal to everybody? And when you bring them in, then are you focused on the knowledge, skills, and experience, or are you really focused more on the strengths piece? And uh, once they're in, and that should right there uh, reduce uh, discrimination. Once they're in, are you asking the right questions when both putting the team together, uh, when uh, coaching the team, um, coaching the individuals? Are you helping the uh, person reporting to you dictate their career path rather than dictate it to them? The more flexibility you can provide to the individual that's on the team or the new hire, the better they're going to perform. And I believe the less the less discrimination you will see because they're helping set that path forward. So my, my recommendations to uh, new organizations are really threefold. One, do you understand the strengths of the people you're bringing into the organization? And are you placing an emphasis on that as you bring them in and develop them? Two, do you understand the team dynamics or are you trying to do this one person, one person, one person, one person. So do you understand the team dynamics mm. and how they work together? Like a basketball team, uh, big centers and yeah. short guards, are they working together well? And number three, how does that team fit within the organization as a whole? Are you measuring the organization and the engagement and satisfaction of the employees? If you do all three of those, three things will happen. One, you'll get a more productive workforce. And so... Um, they will produce more. Two, they'll be more satisfied. And the, uh, the best, uh, I should say more engaged, because the best predictor of customer satisfaction is employee engagement. And three, ironically, the outcome we haven't even talked about, but is very true, you will see an increase in revenue. You will see better profits, top lines, bottom lines, uh, by taking an approach that's really people-centric. Yeah, that's always a good way to <laughs> to help, especially the sales oriented organization. Your, your right. revenue is going to go up, right? But that's just the outcome. That's not, we don't set out yeah. to say we are going to increase your revenue. It will happen then with an employee, employee first approach. Yeah. And do you ever um, show them the analytics that, that correlate to that? increased revenue? Do you go back and say, okay, this is your report after a year or two years, or I'm not sure the time length they work with and show them like, this is what, what you've been doing. And this is what started we, to happen. We build it into our well. contracts. So it is, it's not only a uh, nice to have at the end of the year. Hey, how'd it go? It is, this is what we're going to measure. And we have that discussion up front. Here's what we want to see. And if there is something amiss, well, let's do let's do some real analysis to find out where it is so that we can be better partners to you. So we actually put ourselves out there in the contract at the beginning. We're going to measure this based on what you want to measure and we'll put it all out there. And if it's if it's not working, so to speak, 
then what do we do to make sure that it does for year two or year three? Yeah, that's great. So you were, I was, that was my other question about the time length. Do you work with organizations? Is it just a year, but you well, mentioned three we years. <laughs> work with some, Four. as far as 30 years, I've worked personally, I've been with Talent Plus uh, 18, 17 and a half years, and I've worked with some for 16 years. Same organization. Yep. Oh, wow. And we just, we keep, uh, I mean, it's not a 16 year contract. Wouldn't that be nice? But, but they, <laughs> they want to renew. In fact, <clears throat> our renewal rates are about 96%, which is very high for a consulting firm. Um, we're not a project yeah. fixer, we're a partner. Okay. So that's just kind of intrinsic to the approach, right? So they just think of you as just an extension of the organization. Mm -hmm, exactly. Well, that's great. Well, well, I just want to thank you so much, Scott, for this for this chat. I, I feel like there's a couple other things I could <laughs> to, to, to speak to you about and it, lengthen this conversation yeah. would be all day long, basically, because um, I think it's so interesting about the use of analytics to really speak to some of the what we call the, the soft Ex skill components of of individuals and talent. Um, but maybe that's a conversation yeah, for exactly. another time. So, so that's a part, <laughs> part two conversation. Um, but thank you so much for your time. And if people want to engage with you and say, wow, I, I think I may need to talk to Scott and talent plus and get some help. And so how can they connect with you? Well, I'm Scott you? Whiteford, uh, Scott C. Whiteford, I believe on LinkedIn. Um, my email is S Whiteford at talentplus.com. I, would love it if your listeners reached out. Um, we also just put out a book on um, culture, which is such an important piece. And they can get that at go.talentplus.com backslash make it a great day. <laughs> so um, that's how they can contact me. And I really hope that they do. I hope listeners reach out. I would love to talk to them. Uh, I just enjoy the discussion. Even if they're not interested in buying something, we'll still have a great discussion. So um, but I also want to thank you, Dr. Mack. Uh, it's been a great show. I enjoy coming on and, uh, your questions were, were thought provoking and, um, I thought we had a great conversation. Statements made by Dr. Whiteford refer to research findings using data related to age, race, and gender that could possibly be applied to research conducted in the LGBTQI community. Thank you for joining the journey. I hope you were inspired to lead, speak, and grow today and every day forward. Be sure you follow the Lead, Speak, Grow podcast on your podcast carrier. This episode is sponsored by BuyEmpowered.com. Make BuyEmpowered your new favorite brand. BuyEmpowered.com offers high-quality, comfortable t-shirts, hoodies, and more. We want you to dress confidently, feel free to be yourself, and buy empowered. Shop buyempowered.com.